As we close out our series on stretch, uh, I've chosen for our anchor text, Luke chapter number one. Uh, the reason we're looking to Luke chapter one is because we are in the season of Advent. As I mentioned earlier, there are some churches that celebrate Advent uh, for 40 days. It's a 40-day countdown to December 25th, uh, a, a time that we commemorate the birth of our Savior. Uh, here at City Church, we typically celebrate uh, Advent beginning with the first Sunday in December. Uh, so we will be in Advent season here at City Church through uh, December 24th, which is Christmas Eve. Uh, so we've, we're going to look here at uh, a beautiful narrative uh, recorded here in the gospel according to Luke. It's a detailed account from Luke's perspective about the events that occurred uh, preceding uh, the birth of our Savior. Amen. Somebody say stretch. Stretch. Uh, three things we're going to look at this morning, and let's begin reading uh, in the text here at verse number 26. Let's begin reading uh, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. This should be a familiar passage of Scripture uh, for most of us. For those who are not familiar with the narrative, we will have the text on the screen for you to follow along. Uh, Luke writes, beginning in verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, uh, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Have you ever had somebody say something? You know, Where's that coming from? Out of nowhere, out of the blue, here comes this angel, shows up in Mary's house, and he has this elaborate greeting, this elaborate announcement, and say, hey, Mary, you're blessed. You're favored. God really loves you. And Mary is like, where, what's, hold on, what's going on? Where's, what, where's all this coming from? And the scripture says she was troubled at his saying, and she considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now, let me, let me can I stop, pump the brakes there? Uh, because favor doesn't always manifest the way we expect it to. Mm -hmm. Because the angel announces how much God loves Mary. But this young virgin's life is about to be interrupted and disrupted for the rest of her life. Whatever plans Mary had about her future have now been replaced with what the angel is about to announce to her. Sometimes favor ain't fair. Now, most of us think of those words, favor ain't fair, in the context of like, man, God is blessing me more than everybody else, so don't hate on me because God loves me so much and everything I touch turns to gold and I've got the Midas touch. Don't hate on me because favor ain't fair. But let me tell you that favor ain't fair. 
No, I want you to hear that with new ears. Because God says to Mary, I love you a whole lot. In fact, I've set you apart. And I'm about to demonstrate to you how much I love you by taking all of your plans and throwing them out. And that's what my favor looks like. I am going to disrupt your life. I'm going to interrupt your life. And from now on, even though you are serving me, and even though you are in the middle of my plan, everybody's going to look at you for the rest of your life and whisper behind your back. And so, yeah, that's the little girl that got knocked up. A few months before she was supposed to be married. In fact, later on in Jesus' life, when he's confronting the Pharisees, they say to Jesus in John chapter 8, Abraham's our father, but who your daddy? I'm talking about the favor of God. Because most of us have believed the lie that when we walk in the favor of God, everything is going to be easy. And what I've discovered is that there are times when you can walk in the favor of God and your life be filled with interruptions and disruptions and detours. I hope I'm talking to a mature church this morning because the angel announces, God really loves you, Wendy. But this is what the favor of God will look like in your life. Okay, I'm talking about how to respond in the seasons of famine. The favor of God doesn't always manifest the way we anticipated it would. But just because life gets hard doesn't mean that God's not in it. It's human nature and it's the temptation when life begins to press us to say, God, why have you abandoned me? When you could be in the middle of God's will and the purpose and the plan that he ordained before even one day came to be. One of my prayers is that at City Church, we will not raise up wimpy Christians. Wimpy Christians. Lord, help me. And so the scripture continues in verse 31, and behold, he begins to explain to her what's about to happen. Say, God loves you so much that this is what's about to happen. This wasn't on your radar. This wasn't in your plans, but check this out. God is sovereign, and this is what the rest of your life is going to look like. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. <laughs> I don't even have a say in what's about to happen. I'm miraculously going to be pregnant and I can't even pick out the baby's name? Y'all know how we are when it comes to picking that baby's name. Mama want a name, Papa want a name, Grandma think you should make the middle name her. Y'all know how that go to... And the angel shows up and says, number one, you're about to have this baby. Supernaturally, number two, his name will be Jesus, which means the Lord saves. The Hebrew rendering for the name Jesus is the name Joshua, which also means champion. 
And the angel is beginning to speak prophetically concerning the child that this young virgin, she's not just a young virgin. I want you to hear this now, City Church. She is a teen mom. For those of us who have bought into the Hollywood depiction of what Mary looked like when the angel showed up, she won 21, she won 25, she won 30. Bible scholars say she may have been as young as 14. And this is not unusual in that context and in that culture. Can you imagine the weight that this angel is dropping on this teenager's shoulders in the name of God's favor? I'm talking about those of us who pray for the favor of God. Oh, there's a forecast today, fog, F-O-G, favor of God. (laughs) Sometimes when you live in the fog, yo, it can look a lot like what Mary's experiencing. That sometimes the favor of God on our shoulders can be a weighty thing. <sighs> okay. <sighs> Where was I? Verse, verse uh, 30, 31. Verse 32. Listen, listen to it. He says, this son of yours, this Jesus will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Notice Mary's response in verse 34. (laughs) Mary's about to help us. She's about to help us understand what we must do next. After we manage our expectations, there's there's another step that we must take in our season of famine. And this is, 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 is what it is. Verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Come on, somebody. I know I'm talking to an audience, a congregation, where you have lived long enough that you've asked that question of yourself, of others, and even of God. How can this be? How this going? No, no, notice what she follows up, not just with, with saying, how can this be? But she tells him why it is irrational to even think this is possible. She says, seeing I have not known a man. She's saying, in order for this thing to happen, I have to first be joined to a man, and I know I'm engaged to Joseph, but we haven't come together. So you're talking about what's going to happen after Joseph and I come together, right? Remember what we said at the very beginning? That sometimes in the midst of our famine, one of the first things God will do is he'll give us an illogical instruction. makes absolutely no sense, which suggests that sometimes you and I can walk in the favor of God and not understand fully the moment we find ourselves in. Yet God says, I love you, and I handpicked you. But God, how how can this be? I've done the math, God. It doesn't add up. I see my insufficiency. 
I see my shortcomings. I see my frailties. I see my inadequacies. My life, as I understand it, doesn't match up with the promise and the prophecy. How can these things be? In your seasons of famine, you will ask yourself that question. Can I encourage you this morning? You can always direct your most difficult questions to God. Even Jesus, as he hung on the cross, said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It looks like when it shows up at your door now. I ain't talking about the favor that says you will have a diamond and fly jets around the world. I'm talking about the favor of God that interrupts your plans. If I'm going to get through that, though, I've got to learn to trust the process. I manage my expectations, but the next step is I have to trust the process. I have to learn to trust God even when I can't trace him. I have to believe that just because sometimes in my life, it may seem that God is silent, but it doesn't mean that he is absent. And I've got to learn to trust the process. How can this be? How can this be? You, you, you know what that question is, is, is inferring to me? It, it, it's helping us to ask ourselves the question, how do I respond in times of uncertainty? Because when you and I go through our famine, when you and I go through our dry season, we will grapple with and we will deal with uncertainty. How can these things be? As I began to think about this, I I thought about really three things. Number one, that in our time of famine, the process will produce uncertainty. (laughs) The process will also produce pressure. And the process will also bring about great irritation in parts of my life and my emotions. I want to talk quickly about those three things. Because I believe that God gives us wisdom on how to respond in seasons by looking at nature. Uncertainty. Imagine yourself a caterpillar. Just going about your daily life. And all of a sudden, what you know to be normal is interrupted. And you spend the next three weeks of your life suspended, upside down, in a chrysalis. There are some of us right now who find ourselves suspended, in midair, upside down, The freedom that you once had as a caterpillar, you no longer have. Not only are you suspended upside down in midair, there's total darkness. I wonder if the caterpillar even understands in that moment what is happening. Yet God in his sovereignty must move the caterpillar from being a caterpillar into the chrysalis in order for it to become a butterfly. And there are those of us who go through a similar process of metamorphosis. 
And I will venture to say there are some of us in that place right now where he said, man, I used to do whatever I wanted to do. Now I find myself confined. I find myself restrained. I find myself disoriented. I find myself in darkness. I find myself isolated. And God says, that's the favor of God. In fact, why don't we kill the lights and run this quickly so we can understand a little bit better where you might be right now as you grapple with uncertainty. In the video is this, that as part of the biological process with the caterpillar, is, is there are four stages. The first is where the egg is laid on a leaf. That egg grows into a larvae, and that larvae is what we know to be the caterpillar, okay? Uh, uh, I forget how many weeks in or how many days into the caterpillar's life cycle, there are hormones that are released in the caterpillar that inform the caterpillar to find a leaf. And this caterpillar, being directed by these hormones that are released, goes up to this leaf. And while it is on this leaf, it begins to shed. In fact, the caterpillar sheds its exoskeleton four times before it goes into the chrysalis, its outer shell. There was something I was going to say about that, but I don't have time to go into that. When it goes up to the tree, it is then attached to the leaf and then suspended upside down, the chrysalis is formed around it and it spends three weeks in utter darkness. Let me tell you about the first thing. The caterpillar is led by hormones that are released on the inside. Can I just stop there for a second and say, and ask you, in your season of famine, what's leading you? Because we've said it here at City Church, that an emotion-led life is a miserable life. In our seasons of famine, most of us are led by our emotions and our feelings and our frustrations, and many of us are led by offense. We get mad, and it becomes the thing that leads us. It becomes the thing that guides us. Oh, I, I don't, Pastor Ray said this to me. I ain't coming back to that church. But notice what the scripture says about Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Before he began his earthly ministry, the scripture says that Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. Pump the brakes. You mean to tell me I can be so full of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit can lead me into a hard place? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And most of us live our life by our emotions where our emotions take us away from hard places. Our emotions take us away from hard conversations. There is a secretion in the caterpillar's body of hormones that guides it to next step of its maturity. My question is, what's leading you? What's leading you? What's leading you? Because the very thing that you and I could be resisting could be the very thing that God is leading us into for our next step of growth. The Spirit of God led Jesus in the desert for 40 days to be tempted. Jesus didn't begin his earthly ministry until he went through the crucible of the desert. And most of us never get to our chrysalis 
and we never become a butterfly because we resent and we resist the discomfort of hard places. I thought I was preaching to City Church this morning. We resent being suspended upside down. We resent losing our freedom. We resent uncertainty, and we never make it. We never make it. We never cross over to the purpose that God has for our lives. What is your response to uncertainty? Mary said, how can this be? Notice that because the caterpillar surrenders to the process of the chrysalis, it becomes a butterfly. Now, how many of you have ever observed a caterpillar? Caterpillar get all those little legs and can only go so far and so fast. There are some of us who are working with a whole lot of stuff before we get into the chrysalis, but we can only go so fast. Notice what happens to that caterpillar after it comes out of the chrysalis. It doesn't have a whole bunch of legs. All it's got is two wings, but it can get to places faster. It can soar above things that it couldn't do when it was a caterpillar. The only way you get to the butterfly life is through the crucible of the chrysalis. In fact, biologists call the, 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 the caterpillar phase immaturity. And they call the butterfly phase maturity. And most of us get stuck as caterpillars because we resist discomfort of the middle. Halfway between where you were and where you could be. How can this be? I'm talking to somebody now who feels that way. Man, my life just feels like I'm locked up, upside down, in total darkness. Some of you are dealing with uncertainty in this season of famine. Then there are some who are just dealing with pressure. Yet we know from nature that an ordinary hunk of coal needs pressure and time to become a diamond. There are those of us who resent the pressure we're facing right now. Yet God is saying, I am trying to bring a diamond out of this hunk of coal. And if you will just allow me to apply the right kind of pressure over the right period of time, out of this pressurized situation will come a diamond. Let me tell you about the third kind of person who asked that question, how can this be? Some of us are not only dealing with uncertainty this morning. Some of us are not only dealing with life's pressures, but some of us are dealing with life's irritations. Somebody or something, keep getting on your nerves. And you're saying, God, take this thing from me. And he said, no. Paul prayed three times 
that God would take this thorn out of his flesh. And God said, I ain't going to take the thorn out. I'm going to give you more grace. Sometimes we say, God, make the pain go away. And God says, no, I'm going to give you grace that is equal to the irritation. We don't like that part. Yet when we look at nature, I look at the oyster. And I see in the oyster a few grains of sand, a foreign object that creates great irritation. Yet from that place of irritation, the oyster creates a pearl, something of great value, something of great worth. What are you doing with the things that irritate you? Are you avoiding them? Are you running away from them? Are you cursing them when it's the very thing that God is saying, if you allow me, I will take the thing that is irritating you and I will make a pearl of great price. History records that Caesar, at the height of his power, purchased a pearl, a perfect pearl, meaning it was perfectly round and perfectly smooth and had the perfect clarity and iridescence for what would be equivalent to $1 million today. One pearl. Can I tell you about pearls real quick? Let me tell you something about pearls. Uh, There are three kinds of pearls that exist in our world today. Number one, I'm going to start at the bottom of the totem pole and work my way up. For the next time, a dude gives you a pearl. (laughs) Not all pearls are created equal. So they're imitation pearls. Those are pearls that chemists can take and they can take all the right materials and ingredients and kind of put this, 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 and they can can create it in a lab and in a test tube and, and boop, out pops this pearl. To the naked eye, it looks like the real deal. But that imitation pearl is the equivalent of a cubic zirconium. And ladies, I know how y'all feel. No matter how big that cubic zirconium is, it is a cubic zirconia. That's what we do in life, right? We avoid the irritation so we make our own pearls that we can control and manipulate. But they are of infinitely less value. Let's step it up a little bit. Maybe, maybe, you, you, maybe you're not the kind of person who's given to manipulating your situations and circumstances so they look perfect. And your life from a distance look like these perfect pearls, but they fake. It's all fake. And most of us have become comfortable with false impressions. But those false impressions will never stand the test. No matter how good it looks, it's still a fake imitation pearl. Oh, no, 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 let's go one step up now. Let's go one step up. Because the step up, y'all ready for this? The step up is cultured pearls. Do you have some gray poupon? Cultured pearls are pearls that are cultivated in farms where you can take the oysters, 
put the sand in it, and still get a pearl out of an oyster, but it was created in a cultured environment. It's like an animal born in the wild, I mean born in a zoo, that grows up in a zoo. There are certain things about that animal's instincts that are lost because it's cultured. I'm talking about those of us who want a cultured Christianity. <laughs> that too is fake. Because we're creating a life in a controlled environment. Let me tell about the most valuable pearls that are most valuable because they are extremely rare, rare because they are cultivated in the wild. Wish I had time to talk about that, y'all. Let me tell you something. The greatest part of your life and my life is not gonna be cultivated in my test lab, it's not going to be created in an oyster farm. It has to happen in the wild. In the wild. Now you can settle and I can settle for a cultured pearl or an imitation pearl. But ultimately what God wants to develop here at City Church is pearls that are cultivated in the wild without any human intervention or manipulation. That's what God is about to do with Mary. He's saying to Mary, God's going to do something that is going to require zero human assistance or effort. Because in our minds, he said, this can only happen with another human being. And God said, it's going to happen without them. I'm talking to somebody that God is bringing into the next level now. He is going to deliver you from an unhealthy dependence on man. Okay? I promise you, I'm done after these two things. Number two, be courageous. Number one, you got to trust the process. Whether you deal with uncertainty or pressure or irritation, trust the process. God will bring you through. And every single step of that process is designed for your benefit, to bring you from a place of immaturity to a place of maturity. And it's that middle ground that we often struggle with and avoid because it is too uncertain. Number two, be courageous. Be courageous. This is the C of stretch. This is the C of stretch. S-T-R-E-T-C. Verse 38 says, then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Come on, somebody. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let me tell you about what you and I ought to do in our seasons of famine. Just surrender to what God said. Even when I can't explain it, even when I can't script it, our simple response and the courageous response is always, let it be unto me according to your word. I don't know how this thing's going to happen, 
I don't know how you're going to work it out, but let it be unto me according to your word. Notice what Nelson Mandela said about courage. Mandela said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel, but he who conquers that fear. And in the days to come, God is going to give you instructions and God is going to give us instructions that will straight up scare us. But courageous leadership and courageous living always finds a way by the help of God to triumph over that fear. And that's why I love what Joyce Meyer says. Says, no matter what God says to you, even while your knees are knocking, do it afraid. God didn't say, look, the only way I'm going to accept this sacrifice is if you do it, you know, without fear. God will take it even if you're crawling across the finish line. He'll bless your courage. Even when your knees are knocking, even when you don't understand, he'll still bless it. In your season of famine, be courageous. Oh, and here's the last one. H. <laughs> Woo! There's so much I was going to say. So much I was going to say, but I was like, man, I got to finish this three-point sermon in one day. All three of these points are sermons unto themselves, but I got to get on to the next thing. But here's the H of stretch. Here's the H of stretch. Ask for help. When you're going through your famine, be humble enough and willing enough to ask for help. In order to ask for help, though, I got to admit that I'm going through a tough time. And our cultured imitation pearl life would not allow us to do that. Would not allow us to ask for help. Notice what Mary does. Where are we? We're in verse 39. I just give me a few minutes. Let me just talk to you about how critical this is in the life of every believer. Notice verse 39. The scripture says, now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. Man, after the angel spoke to her, man, this girl was freaking out, and I'm sure she was processing it. And even though she says, let it be unto me according to your word, I'm sure she was struggling in her reasoning. And she ran to the one place where she thought she could find some answers. What I find intriguing about Elizabeth's, I mean Mary's response is that she doesn't go to her mom. She doesn't go to her siblings. She doesn't go to the people in her house. You know why? Because sometimes the favor of God and sometimes the stigma that comes with the favor of God is too much for the people closest to us to bear. I have sat, we have sat with mothers of teen moms who reject them, who say, look what the shame you've brought on our family and our house. I raised you better than that. 
Look at the embarrassment you've made of us. I'm talking about Mary now who's walking in the favor of God. This is what she has to deal with. That you can be smack dab in the middle of the will of God and the whole world turn against you. Not even your mama there to celebrate the fact that an angel showed up and says, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. She has nowhere to turn but to someone else who has had a divine encounter with God. Her cousin, Elizabeth. I'm telling you, in your season of stretching, think it not strange, the people who will turn on you and the people who will discredit you and the people who will discount you and the people who might be around you who are not for you. Mary had to ask for help outside of her house. Outside of her house in the hill country. And there's some of you here this morning and you're saying, who can I turn to? Who can I talk to? The favor of God is on me, but it's doing stuff in my life that is disrupting my relationships, my friendships, everything turned upside down. Even my own fiance, Joseph, called off the engagement. Isn't that what the scripture said? And the angel shows up and said, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Everything in this teenager's life is turned upside down because she's obeying God. And she's got nobody to turn to except her cousin who lives in the hill country. Notice notice what Elizabeth says. And I promise you I'm about to wrap this thing up. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth because they too were having a miraculous birth. Elizabeth had been barren, had been barren and couldn't have children. And likewise, miraculously, God gives them a child. How many of you realize that sometimes in your season of famine, God will do a miracle in close proximity to you so that you can believe for yours? While you're waiting, God could be giving somebody a miracle right around you so that when your turn comes, you can believe if he did it for Elizabeth, he's going to do it for me. But most of us end up hating on those people. And most of us end up complaining against God. God, when are you going to do it for me? Yet God put Elizabeth in Mary's life so that when her miracle happened, she could turn to somebody who would understand. Come on, I'm I'm prophesying to you, City Church. Not everybody is going to understand the favor that you walk in. And let me tell you how you will know the people who understand the favor that you walk in. It will be in the words they speak to you. And it will be in the words they speak about you. It will be in the words they speak over you. There's a reason Mary ran to Elizabeth. The scripture is silent, but I can only imagine the flack she was getting from her family. (laughs) I I know we're cultured pearls here at City Church. But I can only imagine, God forbid, God forbid, if Nia came to me and said, Daddy, I'm pregnant at 14 years old. This is what she's dealing with in the name of the favor of God. And she turns to her cousin Elizabeth because nobody in her house could understand what God was doing in her. Uh, Notice what happened. 
I promise you I'm about to wrap this up. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. That's a kindred spirit. That when Elizabeth, look, listen to me now, listen. When Mary opened her mouth, the baby in Elizabeth's belly leaped. Here's what's miraculous about it. It's because Elizabeth's baby is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a forerunner to Jesus. Now Mary is carrying Jesus and Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And when Mary opens up her mouth, the baby in Elizabeth leaped. Tell you how people understand the favor that you're walking in. When you open your mouth to tell them what's happening, something on the inside is going to jump. Oh, 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 and, and notice, then Elizabeth spoke out loud or spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. When you ask for help in your season of famine, when nobody else understands what you're going through, people will speak life over your circumstances, not rejection. Girl, you blessed. Your life falling apart, but you blessed. Your fiance about to call off the engagement, but you're blessed. Your mama and your daddy won't talk to you because they think you embarrassed them, but you're blessed. For the rest of your life, people will talk about you behind your back, and there will be this conspiracy theory about how you got pregnant, but you're blessed. I'm telling you, as we close out this series, the Lord's already preparing me. Already prepared me already prepared me for the separation, separation, separation that will happen. Inevitable. Already prepared me. We have 40 days of prayer, and we had the 40 days of prayer. I pray for 40 days. Not everybody can handle what the favor of God looks like on your life, especially when in the natural it seems like everything is falling apart because it's human nature if things are falling apart to jump ship. When everything's good, I'm going to stay on board. The Lord's already prepared me for it. 40 days of prayer, crystal clear. Crystal clear. That's how we do in Liberia. I see my Liberian people up there who do like this. Crystal clear. There will only be a handful of Elizabeths. Only a handful of Elizabeths who will speak life over you when it seems your life is falling apart. I'm out of time, verse 45. In fact, let me just read 42 through 45. 41 through 45. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And and Mary said, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, I'm sorry, Elizabeth said, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Look at verse 45. Verse 45 is critical. Blessed is she who believed, for there shall be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. As we close out this stretch series, can I say to you that there shall be a fulfillment 
there will be a fulfillment. The King James Version says there shall be a performance of everything that God said. And let me tell you something, absolutely no human being, no flesh and blood, no Haman, no adversary will be able to stop, will be able to stop what God has said. None of them, not one of them, not one of them. There shall be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. In your season of famine, ask for help, but make sure it's the right people because not everybody will appreciate your life when it's falling apart. They will see your life falling apart as their signal to leave you. That's not your Elizabeth. So I close with this. Yeesh! I close with this. What you are going through now is about what God is bringing you into next. I want you to hear that. What you are going through now is about what God is bringing you into next. The stretch that you are experiencing is about God enlarging your capacity to fit the dimensions of your destiny. Do you hear that, City Church? It's what the stretch is about. Your destiny is this size, but maybe now your capacity is right here. And everything you're experiencing, the tension, the frustration, the irritation, the pressure, the uncertainty, is God stretching you. Stretching me. Stretching us to fit the dimensions of our destiny. So in this season of famine, and as I look out over this auditorium, I wish every single chair was filled. Season of famine. But even in this season of famine, God says, hey, man, it's time to build. How can these things be? How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Listen for what God will say. Number two, be selective about the voices you choose to trust. Number three, guard your daily routine. Number four, manage your expectations. Number five, trust the process. Trust the process, especially when you find yourself in the middle. It's easy to be a butterfly and it's easy to be a caterpillar, but when you're stuck in that chrysalis, it's easy to give up. Trust the process. Be courageous. It's not the absence of fear, but learning to triumph over fear. And finally, number seven, ask for help. Notice the scripture says, and we didn't read this, but the scripture says, and Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her house. It wasn't just a casual visit with Elizabeth. Mary couldn't even go back to her house. Wouldn't even go back to her own house because of what she experienced that made her leave. Ask for help. 
because there are going to be people around you who can handle what you're going through. But God will give you an Elizabeth who will hear and who will help. Father, seal this word in our hearts. Seal this word in our hearts.